guys. Welcome back to the Beck and Call podcast. I'm your host, Merritt Beck. I'm the writer behind the fashion and lifestyle blog, The Style Scribe. I've been creating content and cultivating a loyal following on my blog and Instagram for over 11 years, but last year I decided to mix it up and start a podcast. One of my favorite parts of this job has been connecting with so many like-minded women and discussing all things life, work, and love, and I wanted to bring that to life on this podcast. I like to describe the Beck and Call podcast as a weekly morning show where I share new recs and reviews, I'll chat with the occasional guest, I answer listener questions, and discuss fun, relevant topics for women in their 20s, 30s, and beyond. From my egg freezing journey and dating in my 30s to the good, the bad, and the ugly of dog ownership, there's a little bit of something for everyone here. So I'm so glad you're here. Let me be at your Beck and Call and let's jump into this week's episode. Following five days in Charleston, I am back in Dallas. I'm going to be doing a full recap of my trip, plus what I did on my first trip in 2019 later on in the episode, but let's chat about what's been going on outside of that trip first. Maybe the biggest news, but it's unimportant news. My laptop crapped out on me when I was in Charleston last week, so I ended up having to take it to the Apple store on Wednesday while I was there, and I was hoping it would be a quick fix, but Naturally, it was not, and they ended up having to ship it to Tennessee to fix it. And that was on Wednesday. They shipped it out Thursday, and they said I should have it within three to four business days. They gave me a link to track kind of the updates on the repairs, and there's been no update. I've got no word on when I'm getting it back. Um, I probably should call them, actually. But luckily, Liza, I have a laptop for Liza to use when she's here and when we're traveling. And so I just basically stole that from her, and she has her own computer at home. It's an iMac. So she has to work from home with that. And I'm just using her laptop, but I'm grateful to have a backup because otherwise I think I'd be shit out of luck recording and making any content this week. So thankful for the extra laptop, but it does make things a little tricky because I had to like find and download all of the audio clips. Like I had all of those saved on my other computer in the right way. I have, I have to recut everything. It's just, you know, <laughs> an inconvenient thing that has happened, but Hopefully I'll have my laptop back. And if not, I guess I'll buy a new one. But in other news, I have sort of a funny dating app situation that I'm just not sure about (laughs) that I wanted to share with y'all. So a few weeks back, I think I mentioned that I deleted Hinge, which is the dating app that like, I feel like a lot of my friends are on and I've been on off and on for a while. Um, So I deleted it. I'm just I wasn't feeling inspired, but then I was re-inspired to download Bumble for some reason. So don't ask me why. This is like totally my MO. I'll spend like an hour creating a new profile and swipe a lot and then not look at it for two weeks. Like I'll delete it again and then start that whole cycle over. It's just like, I think it's one of my toxic traits, honestly. Um, I'm just not committed to dating on the apps, but when I'm bored or feel like I'm not going out enough, I'll get back on just to see what's going on there. Anyway, on Bumble, I've matched with several guys. I'm sort of talking to people on there. And I matched with this one guy last week. And while his profile looked normal, there were a couple of things about his profile that kind of made me go, huh? First, he only had one photo. I don't think I've ever swiped right on a guy that only has one photo. It was a good photo, but I do find it odd when people don't provide more than one option because it kind of makes me suspicious that they might be catfishing or something. While he didn't have more than one photo, he did have a lot of text and emojis on his profile, which is obviously not a red flag. I like that he has a lot of information, but that definitely should have given me a heads up to his conversation style. 
So with those things in mind, I did swipe right. He looked normal, pretty handsome, although definitely verbose. His profile seemed normal, though. With it being Bumble, the girl has to make the first move, so to speak. So I messaged him my usual starter line that I've been using this year. (laughs) I'm so lazy. I usually just say, hey, insert person's name. How's 2022 treating you so far? I feel like it's a good catch all because we've spent two years in a pandemic and I feel like 2022 is the year we're getting back to real life. So that's what I've been starting with. But he responded pretty quickly, which I appreciate. But again, he answered the question in such great detail and used some really dramatic words for answering very, a very simple question. Um, he, and then he like asked about my year so far and also mentioned taking some culinary classes. So I asked him more about that and what, what cuisines he was interested in. And here's the paragraph he typed out in response. Y'all, I, you can't make this up. I'm delighted to hear about your uptick in travel and new frontiers of professional satisfaction. Generally speaking, I gravitate towards almost foolish thoroughness and a comical desire to establish a firm base in the basics. Consequently, for my culinary educational endeavors, I'm starting with the quite mundane sanitation and safety, followed by the only slightly sexier basic food preparation. These are offered by Dallas College El Centro Campus, formerly known as El Centro College. What is the nature of your business? That's that's the paragraph he asked in response to me asking what cuisines he was interested in and like what I mean <laughs> does anyone else think he swallowed a thesaurus? Like I I wanted to ask him that but I didn't know if that would be rude. It just doesn't seem like something a normal person would say. There's just like too much going on and maybe I'm overthinking it, <laughs> looking too much into it, but the whole paragraph reminds me of the episode of Friends where Joey Tribbiani is writing a personal letter of recommendation for Monica and Chandler's adoption application. So in the letter, he states they are, or he, he starts with, they are warm, nice people with big hearts and using a thesaurus, he changed the letter to read, they are humid, prepossessing homo sapiens with full-sized aortic pumps. It's like he's using so many descriptive words together that the sentences don't actually make any sense. And I totally feel like that's what this guy is doing (laughs) because I like even reading the sentence that is generally speaking, I gravitate towards almost foolish thoroughness and a comical desire to establish a firm base in the basics. Like it's not a lot of big words per se, but it's just like a little confusing. Like he, it's just not, it doesn't sound natural. Like it doesn't sound like a natural sentence someone would say. I sent a screenshot to my friends to see what they thought because I didn't want to be too dismissive or like write him off for, you know, something silly, but they thought it was really weird too. And I haven't responded to the guy. So if you have any thoughts on the subject and want to offer your two cents, call into the Becca call hotline and let me know what you think. The number is 214-620-0473. You can also email me info at beckandcallpodcast.com. Needless to say, swiping on the dating apps is going great over here. (laughs) On Saturday, I grabbed brunch with Makita of the Glamazon Diaries blog. If you are unfamiliar, she is a New York-based fashion influencer who I started following a few years ago, and she focuses on plus-size style. So definitely check her out and follow her on Instagram at Glamazon Diaries for style inspo. And she had the most beautiful wedding in Paris this fall, and it was covered by Vogue Weddings. So definitely check that out. They have a ton of web- uh, photos on their website. 
Anyway, she and her husband were in Dallas for the week visiting friends, and I thought I was going to miss her being in Charleston all week, but I touched base anyway, and she mentioned she'd be here till Sunday. So we ended up scheduling brunch for Saturday, and I took them to Beverly's, which is one of my favorite brunch spots. It's such a fun spot. They have indoor and outdoor seating. The menu's pretty diverse. They've got burgers. They've got oysters. They've got um, shakshuka. I mean, they've literally got so many random things on it, but it's all very good. But anyway, I'm so glad it worked out because it was so much fun getting to finally meet her in person after following her on Instagram for a while. I feel like that's true of so many influencers and content creators I follow because you feel like you're, you know them. You've been watching their stories and engaging with their content for years and you've just never met them in real life. So that was really fun. She's been really good at creating reels and videos for TikTok, which we actually spent a lot of time talking about when we were at brunch. And she definitely inspired me to get more involved with that. Um, I'm not super experienced with video content. I'd say I'm a fast learner, but like, I don't know if I'm the most creative when coming up with ideas for video stuff. And it, it does take a lot of effort. Um, and so I think the times that I've tried to do video, I'm just not pleased with, I'm a perfectionist and I'm just like not pleased with how they look. And so I've just, I've started and then I've stopped and I've started and I've stopped. And she really encouraged me to just try it and just do ones that are easy to start with. The, like using TikTok as a place to do more casual videos. Instagram is the manicured, um, aesthetically pleasing feed. Whereas TikTok, I can sort of go buck wild and do whatever I want. So whether that's like casual outfit of the day videos, try on hauls, whatever it is, silly things or like what my day looks like, work stuff, whatever I want to post. I can be a little less critical of myself on TikTok because it's not the same manicured feed as my Instagram feed. So anyway, she inspired me. And so far I've posted my Charleston travel recap, a try on all the items that I bought in Charleston. And today I posted an outfit of the day video <laughs> and I, I had fun doing it. And I, I listening back and watching it back again, not the best quality. I'm still figuring it out. It's going to be a trial and error thing. So like bear with me, but if you want to follow along, go to TikTok, download the app if you don't already have it and follow me. My uh, username on there is at Merritt Beck, M-E-R-R-I-T-T-B-E-C-K. But I'm going to try and commit to doing a few a week. Uh, Like I said, I'm going to start with the easy ones, but just so you know, just so you're aware, the one I did today, that's like me showing off my outfit of the day. I did a little voiceover recording editing and then linking everything on the LTK app. It took me like a full hour to do that. And it's not the best quality. (laughs) So if that gives you any idea how long it takes to create videos, especially the cool ones you see on TikTok, it like will amaze you. Like the content creators on there are incredible because it's so time consuming. You have to be really creative Um, for the ones that are really sharp, like the sharp transitions with outfit changes or the dancers and all of that stuff. Um, You've got to be really meticulous about editing and it just, it's very time consuming and like picking the right music and all of that. Um, So I have a newfound respect for all of those people. That's pretty much all I'm saying there, but check me out on TikTok at Merit Beck. I may post some of the stuff that I do on TikTok on reels on Instagram, but I don't want to do the same content on both. Um, So I'm going to use TikTok as more of like a casual everyday thing and reels and my Instagram are still going to kind of maintain that more manicured look, even though I still do everyday real stuff there. Yesterday, I hosted Mahjong again for the group I've been playing with since this fall, and it was so great to get back together. 
We ended up skipping last month because one of the group couldn't make it. And I don't know why, but it feels even longer. Like it feels like it's been even longer since we last played. We all kind of required a little instruction getting back into it. Like I'd forgotten several of the rules. Um, But after the first game, we'd picked it up again. It's just Mahjong is one of those games that you kind of have to do consistently and fairly often or you'll forget a lot of the rules and like how to deal and how many tiles to have and what you can use the jokers on. I mean, there's just there's so many details you'll miss if you don't play it consistently. So I'm hoping we'll be more consistent and continue to play every month. Honestly, I would play every week. Like I've said on here, I love games. I love Mexican train. I love Scrabble. I love any game. Um, So if I can get people to do Mahjong more often, I totally would. I'm recording most of the podcast right now earlier in the day, but knowing the Met Gala is tonight, I'm going to record a segment after I see all of the fashion to report on my favorites and insert it in here. The theme is Gilded Glamour, so I'm hoping to see some Bridgerton-inspired looks. I just love the pomp and circumstance around this event and how people go all out with their outfits. It's way more fun than award shows these days, in my opinion anyway, because I feel like people tend to play it safe on the red carpet there. But with the Met Gala, it is like the outfits can be so absurd, but they can also be so beautiful. It's just more fun. People get a little more creative with it. But before we get into the Met Gala content, I wanted to share a random obsession I discovered this weekend. Uh, While grocery shopping and picking up all the healthy post-vacay items at Central Market, my eyes scanned over the ice cream section on the way to get some almond milk and yogurt. I stopped in my tracks, literally stopped in my tracks when I saw Jenny's ice cream has a butter mint flavor. I'm not sure if it's new or it's just new to me, but I freaking love butter mints. In fact, I was actually discussing my love for these sweet and soft candies with my mom and sister over Easter and how they remind me of a simpler time, if you will. I feel like we always used to eat these at the country club or at my grandparents' house. It just like feels old fashioned, um, something nostalgic like that from my childhood. Naturally, I grabbed a pint. The ice cream is called Savannah Buttermint, and it comes in a perfectly pastel packaging to represent the various colors of buttermints. And it has a soft minty flavor with some shavings of white chocolate to add some texture. But y'all, this shit rocks. <laughs> I ate the entire pint on Saturday. I do want to defend myself and say it didn't happen all in one sitting, although I totally could have. I had some after brunch and then I had some, I had the rest of it, finished it off after dinner. But either way, I really should never buy it again because it is full on addictive. But if you're in Texas, I found it at Central Market and they may also have it at Jenny's ice cream locations, which are like all over the country now, but they don't always have the same flavors at every store, um, at least in the ready to serve stuff, but they may have it in like a freezer and a pint. I don't know. But I found I found the pint at uh, Central Market here in Texas. So check it out if you are nostalgic for butter mints and you want that flavor again. Okay, it is 7.07 p.m. I've looked at all of the Met Gala looks, and sadly, I don't have a ton to report on because not many people dressed on theme like I was hoping they would. I feel like a lot of people opted for more flapper looks that leaned more 1920s than they did the Gilded Age. A few of those people include Emma Stone, Gemma Chan, Maude Apatow, and Phoebe Denivore, and they all looked beautiful, but they were all wearing some sort of what looked like flapper dresses with sheer stuff with feathers, with embellishments. The silhouettes were not gilded age at all. Um, They were all like pretty much small dresses or just, they just look like flapper dresses. But 
My favorite dresses that seemed the most on theme to me, even though they weren't like out there, were Alexa Chung, Laura Harrier, and Carrie Mulligan. And Blake Lively looked beautiful, but again, her dress didn't really adhere to the theme. It was sort of her usual strapless silhouette with a long train. I feel like she's worn that exact silhouette to the Met Gala like six times. Even with the surprise reveal mid-red carpet that the dress looked different from the other direction, I still wasn't that impressed. I mean, she always looks great, but as the host of the gala this year, you'd sort of think she'd do something a little different or a little more out there, but guess not. I just wish more people dressed in accordance with a theme. It would make it so much more fun if everyone was just on the same wavelength and all decided that they were actually going to dress on theme. I think it would make the reporting on the fashion way more fun and way more fun for the viewer, but maybe that's just me. One look that I thought was really on theme and creative was Chloe Grace Moritz. She wore a silver sequin jacket that had sort of a high collar, flared cuffs, and it was sort of open in the front. And she paired that with some sort of white crop top, white pants, and silver pumps. She was totally dressed on theme, but almost from a more masculine approach and more modern approach by not opting for a dress, which I love. I think that's so cool. The style of the jacket minus the sequins certainly looks like a style men would have worn back then. And so I think what she was doing was creative, inventive, uh, different, but still dressing on theme. Like that's a cool way to do it. But anyway, I'm just, I feel like it was lackluster. A lot of the looks were beautiful. I just, I guess I had high hopes that they would dress on theme and maybe that's on me. (laughs) I'd love to hear what you guys thought about the outfits. Be sure to follow along on Beck and Call podcast on Instagram. I'll be posting some of my favorite looks. So head there and comment your favorites. All right, let's talk about some things I've been watching and reading over the last week. So on the flight home from Charleston, I finished Molly Shannon's memoir, Hello, Molly, on Audible. Like most celebrity memoirs in audiobook format, she narrates it, which I love so, so much. While I've never been a big SNL person and certainly didn't watch it while she was on it back in the 90s, I was like in elementary and middle school at that time. Um, I really loved the movie Superstar, which is based off of her character, Mary Catherine Gallagher, that she developed and portrayed on SNL before it became a movie. She was also in Never Been Kissed, A Night at the Roxbury, Serendipity, and so many other movies and TV shows over the years. I just, I've always loved her spirit and enthusiasm in every role. She's just got that like telltale excitement. Each role she has is like that. Um, So I knew I'd love her memoir too. And I always hoped that that's what she was like in real life. And it totally seems like it. So that makes me happy. While there were a lot of highs in this memoir and it generally was like very upbeat and fun, there were a ton of low lows too. In fact, the book begins with her describing the car accident that took the life of her mom, sister, and cousin. And while her situation was very different than the tragedy that I experienced in my family, I would say it's a little triggering if you've experienced that kind of trauma in your life, um, especially like an accident and like the repercussions of that. But she talks about the relationship with her father over the years he was driving following the accident, um, how she went from waiting tables to being cherry picked for SNL, how she developed certain characters she went on to portray on SNL, and ultimately how she decided it was time to leave SNL and focus more on her personal life. I really enjoyed that part Um, as somebody who loves to work, but also wants to have a fun personal life. I enjoyed that section of the book for sure. I thoroughly enjoyed the book and 
finished it very fast. She narrates like she acts. So everything's a little over the top with lots of energy and enthusiasm. Even in the sad parts, I feel like she manages to slide through it without dwelling too long in that sadness. So anyway, I recommend this book if you love Molly Shannon or if you've just enjoyed other celebrity memoirs. I mean, I feel like I've read a lot. Um, This is probably one of my favorite ones just because it's quick and it's got a good balance of topics and just, I like hearing her talk. She's just cute and fun. Um, But the book is also thought provoking and vulnerable. It's just a well-rounded memoir. So check it out. It's Hello, Molly. I also finally got a chance to watch Anatomy of a Scandal on Netflix over the weekend, and I was obsessed. I started it Saturday night and stayed up pretty late to watch more episodes, which is something I very rarely do because I really cherish my sleep and usually am never craving a new episode enough to continue watching if I'm tired. But I definitely did that on Saturday. The show stars Sienna Miller as the wife of a government official in the UK, played by Rupert Friend, who is accused of rape and put on trial. Um, Michelle Dockery from Downton Abbey also stars, and she plays the barrister trying the case. And this goes without saying, but if you're triggered by themes of sexual assault, do not watch this show. They spent a great portion of the trial going through every detail from the alleged victims and perpetrators perspectives. So just avoid it if that's not something you're into. But each episode is packed with a bunch of twists and turns. Like at the end of every episode, it hooks you to watch the next one. That's why I was so captivated and kept watching on Saturday. But you, you're like constantly wondering who you should believe. And I love shows like this. It's just, it's like a more modern whodunit, if you will. But it's a limited series and only six episodes. So it's definitely a bingeable show. I loved it and was so sad when the last episode finished. I wish there was more, but it's just a limited series, like I said. Also, Sienna Miller was fantastic. Her entire wardrobe for the show was so chic and sophisticated. Um, So if anything, watch the show for style inspiration. And I haven't seen her. I know she's been in a lot over the years, but I guess I haven't seen her in a lot uh, personally. Like I haven't watched a lot of her stuff, but she's amazing. She did a great job acting this. So definitely check out Anatomy of a Scandal. And once I finished that show, I started Grace and Frankie on Netflix. They launched the seventh season, which I'm kind of surprised by. I can't believe they've already done that. But I also realized I had started but not finished season six. So I'm catching up on that right now before I obviously move on to the seventh season. But if you've never seen this show, it stars Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin as women who are sort of forced to become best friends when their husbands leave them for each other. (laughs) So it's a hysterical show and one that focuses on an older demographic. Um, I think they're both in their 70s. But aside from a few Nancy Myers movies, I feel like you just don't see stuff like this very often. And it's really refreshing. And it offers uh, like a fun take on love and dating and sex and health and family relationships um, on an older generation. I just think it's um, a, a good idea. I think it's great to have that representation there. But each episode is only 30 minutes long and everything is funny. So regardless of the topic, the episodes are all really lighthearted and cute. And no matter what your age, you will enjoy this show. I've loved it since season one. I think it's darling and hilarious. The cast is great. <laughs> They've got so many funny people on the show. Definitely check out Grace and Frankie on Netflix. Um, and I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but Anatomy, Anatomy of a Scandal is also on Netflix. 
right. For the main topic in this week's episode, I thought I'd give y'all a comprehensive Charleston trip recap. I may also share some of the stuff that I did in 2019 when I went on my first trip because I'll share my other hotel that I stayed in, some of the other restaurants I visited on that trip because they're all still good and available. So first, let's talk about what I did on that first trip in 2019. I had been wanting to plan a trip there for so long and without doing any research, I booked a trip for a long weekend in April. And it wasn't until after my friend Dana decided to join the trip and we started planning did I realize the Cooper River Bridge Run was going on that weekend. And just like most races in other cities, this one brings a lot of people into Charleston the weekend of the race, making it that much harder to make reservations at hotels and restaurants. Um, But never one to dwell in the negative, we decided to run the race instead of trying to avoid it. I'd never run a 10K before, but had been doing a lot of running at the time already, thanks to Orange Theory. So it didn't take me that long to train up for a longer run. In addition to doing the runs at Orange Theory like three times a week, I did one long run on a Saturday, every Saturday. Um, And I would run between like five and nine miles trying to work my way up. Um, I probably did that for two months leading up to the race. But on that trip, I ended up staying at Hotel Bella Grace which is a chic little boutique hotel just a couple blocks over from King Street on Calhoun. Um, this, the setup of this hotel is almost more like small apartments, which is really nice if you're looking for more space and want to spread out. Like if you're there for a longer trip or you're there for work or whatever and maybe aren't going out to eat every night. Um, they have fully equipped kitchens, which makes, like I said, a great, it makes it a great place to stay if you're there for a long time. But I ended up using the fridge the whole trip for storing cold brew coffee, water, and fruit for breakfast. So I really enjoyed having the kitchenette and fridge there. Um, While they don't have a restaurant or bar like most hotels in Charleston, they do have a fitness center, free Wi-Fi, and a 24-hour front desk. And honestly, I loved staying there and would 100% stay there again. But when I looked this time, the dates of my trip this week did not end up being available when I was booking, which is partly why I stayed somewhere else. But also when I travel somewhere repeatedly, I like to try out different hotels and I just want to mix it up and try something new. So when looking at hotels for this trip, I was sort of between Hotel Bennett and the Dewberry based on location, cost, amenities, that sort of, those were the two that I was considering. Um, They both cost about the same amount. They're like right in the same location. They offer the same amenities. And I'm not really sure why I ended up deciding to stay at Hotel Bennett but I loved that it was right on King Street. They had a fitness center and there was a room option with queen bed since Liza was going to be joining me on this trip. For those of you that are new here, Liza is my assistant. She works for me full time and helps me with all the content that I do. So I want to be able to bring her on trips and shoot content and just also have fun with her. She's great. And I visited the Dewberry already for their rooftop bar slash restaurant, the Citrus Club. And while I haven't seen their guest rooms, my guess is that it's slightly more modern and perhaps more chic in decor. Hotel Bennett was lovely and well-appointed, but it definitely had more of a traditional vibe. Um, It was very sophisticated. I would sort of equate it to like a Four Seasons, the way it's decorated, Um, whereas the Dewberry is just more modern and um, chic, I guess is the word I would use. Our room at Hotel Bennett was so gorgeous and the bathroom was like very sleek, modern and spotless. Everything was clean. The service was impeccable and the staff was super friendly. Um, Hotel Bennett has a rooftop bar, a pretty pink bar on the ground floor called Camellia's. 
They also have a restaurant and a pretty patisserie with great coffee and pastries, which we used every morning. And that's also on the ground floor. I really don't have any complaints about our stay. We really enjoyed the hotel, but I will say if you want to have a gym wherever you're staying, like I do, the fitness center is on the smaller side and there's really one small area for weights. Uh, but there are two treadmills, one elliptical and two Peloton bikes. So I'd, I'd say it's uh, decently stocked with cardio equipment. It's just a really small space. So like if you're uncomfortable with, you know, COVID stuff or, you know, don't like feeling like other people are like puffing and puffing around you, <laughs> you may not like this gym. It feels even smaller when there's even just one more person in there. Um, but that would be my only complaint. And it's like a non-complaint. So <laughs> I highly recommend Hotel Bennett. We had a great stay. Our flight coming in on Monday was delayed. So we didn't end up getting checked into the hotel until about 4.30 that afternoon. We decided to just quickly freshen up. And then we hit King Street to go put our name down at 167 Raw. And while they do take reservations, I was not fast enough to book one. Um, but we did know that they take walk-ins. You just have to like get there early and plan to wait. So we put our name down at five and the hostess said it would be about a 45 minute wait. So we gave them our number and we hopped over to Husk for a drink. I didn't get a chance to eat at Husk on this trip or my last one. So that will definitely be on my list for next time I visit. When we were getting drinks, we saw a plate of charcuterie with a very beautiful biscuit getting delivered to a man at the bar and it looked and smelled insane. So I definitely need to go back and try it. And the cocktails were so good. Um, you can tell the bartender just knows what he's doing and all of their, all of the cocktail ingredients were like inventive and good. And they have a little seating area outside. That's like a garden. It's sort of a free for all. So first come first serve, but that's a great spot to grab a drink while you're waiting for a table. If that's something you want to do at almost exactly the 45 minute mark, we got a text telling us to come back to 167 and we're seated pretty much right away. We ended up ordering fresh oysters, the crudo, which changes every day, the fish. A lot of the items on the menu, it's so fresh that they literally have different fish offerings almost every day for many of the menu items. So we got the crudo and then we also got the tuna tataki to split. Liza had been before and raved about that, which and it kind of reminded me of like tuna over crispy rice. Like I've mentioned at Shinsei, they do a Katina's crispy rice. It's so delicious but it's just in a different format. So it's basically seared tuna with a crunchy outer layer. Um, so like obviously the tuna over crispy rice, it's like a chunk of tuna over a piece of crispy rice. And this was like, kind of looked like a log. <laughs> it was like, you couldn't see the tuna. The outside was like the crunchy outer layer. And then when you cut into it, you see the tuna on the inside. It was really good, but the star of the show was what Liza ordered for her entree, which was the King Crab Mafaldine pasta. It was basically a fancy mac and cheese with crab in it, and it was so freaking good. It was super rich. I ordered the fish special, which was grouper that day and on the healthier side, but don't think I didn't eat half of Liza's dish. And if I went back, I would 100% order what she ordered. That pasta was one of the best. I think it was maybe the best thing we ate the entire trip. It was so freaking good. The next morning we both got up and worked out, got ready, and then shot some outfit photos around the hotel. I mean, I've got to get that content while we're somewhere that charming. So, um, we did shoot like outfits every morning, but 
Liza ended up having to make a little field trip over to Mount Pleasant for something wedding related. So I walked around solo down by the water and in the neighborhoods behind Rainbow Row. Because the last time I visited Charleston, the day I'd planned to do that, it rained. And I ended up going anyway and like shooting content around there uh, just by myself. But they all are rainy looking photos. So I wanted to go back while it was sunny and pretty and a beautiful day and do that again. So I did that for about two hours and then met her again at lunch. We had lunch at Basic Kitchen that day, which is a bright and airy restaurant and it features more healthy fare. So for example, I mean, this isn't that healthy, but we ordered these cauliflower wings to start, which was basically like large cauliflower florets that were fried in a tempura-like batter and then topped with buffalo wing sauce. So like I said, not super healthy, but like, yeah, you kind of can think it's healthy. They were insanely good. So much good flavor. I honestly could have eaten another order of that for my entree, but I didn't want to be boring and weird. So (laughs) I decided to get the basic bowl, which featured roasted sweet potatoes, broccoli, sauteed kale, curried chickpea, and some grains. Um, And then Liza got the niçoise salad, which I believe was a special that day, but both were great. The cauliflower stole the show for me. I would definitely order that if you're going to go there. It's, I think it's always on the menu, but highly recommend. I would 100% go back there for that. They also had like delicious drinks. They had a hibiscus tea and some fruit and veggie forward cocktails. Like Liza got a beet margarita, which she loved. Um, but that's a great spot for lunch or brunch. Uh, We did make a reservation. I think you can do that on resi, but it's, it's really good. I loved that place. We spent the rest of the afternoon shopping along King Street. And in addition to the typical spots, you'll find like H&M, J. Crew, and other kind of mall staples. King Street is home to a bunch of exclusive boutiques like Hampton Clothing, Bow and Row, Finicky Philly, and Beckett Boutique. Hampton is my favorite because they have brands like Zimmerman and Zarena. Um, but Bow and Row is really fun if you love uh, bright colors and prints. They have a bunch of just like breezy dresses and tops and uh, straw bags and slide sandals. It's just like a little more casual and feminine, whereas Hampton Clothing is more designer forward and driven. So think more fashion forward labels. They also have like high end designers like Stella McCartney, Carolina Herrera, etc. And then Beckett Boutique has brands like Hunter Bell. Trying to think what else I remember seeing there, but it's a smaller boutique and it's right across from Hotel Bennett. So that was easy to pop in before we went to brunch one day. And then Finicky Philly is sort of a hodgepodge mix of stuff, but they have a bunch of cute dresses and accessories and things. It's sort of a mix of price points. Those are probably my favorite boutiques that are kind of exclusive to Charleston. This was also the afternoon I was dealing with my laptop and the Apple store. So I was carrying around that laptop and had to drop it off again at 445. But after my Genius Bar appointment, Liza and I went back to the hotel to freshen up for dinner before heading down to Camellia's, which is the pink bar in Hotel Bennett. And it's honestly the perfect spot for pre or post dinner drinks. And it's so girly and pretty. Um, They've got this beautiful chandelier, which this is sort of hilarious, but I was talking to Grace and Stacy of Hampton uh, the next night, but they were telling me, and I hadn't noticed this before, but the chandelier, which is beautiful, by the way, is shaped like a vagina. And so they they think... They think that that is what it's supposed to be meant to look like. I mean, it is all pink on the inside, but like, I don't know. I didn't see that. And then now that I'm looking back at the photos, I kind of do. And it kind of makes me think of 
you know, the girl who plays Alexis Rose in Schitt's Creek, that commercial she did for the non-hormonal birth control where she's like skating around in quote unquote her vagina. <laughs> but anyway, kind of reminded me of that. But anyway, if you can forget that, it's a really cute spot for drinks. I got some rosé champagne. Liza got, I think she got a cocktail. I can't remember, but it's just a fun, cute spot. Definitely a place to take your girlfriends or go um, with girls, I think. After that, we went to Zero George for dinner. And I've heard so many amazing things about this hotel. It's a little too expensive for me to stay for that long, but one of these days I want to. And I never got to got a chance to try the restaurant on my last trip. So it was definitely at the top of my list when I started planning for this one. They're known for their patio dining and prefix menu, but something else popped up when I was looking on Resi that I had to investigate. So I saw that they also had a caviar bar option, which I did some investigation. I did some Googling and found out that it's brand new as of 2022. They just launched it, just opened it, and it's on the covered patio. And like the regular dinner menu, the caviar bar menu is prefix, but it's totally different from the regular dinner menu. And it's all caviar focused. So when I made the Resi reservation, I had to pay $65 per person to secure the reservation. And that fee covers the initial level of caviar service that includes the least expensive caviar option, brioche, jammy eggs, chips, and all the accoutrements to pair with your caviar. And while that's quite a bit to eat, and you could certainly order just that if you're not very hungry, you'll likely want to order one or more items off of the menu to add to that, obviously for an additional fee. So if you're wanting to eat more than that, like we did, there were a few other dishes you could order like oysters, deviled eggs, or a Wagyu sandwich, all of which we ordered for an additional fee. Um, And you can also upgrade your caviar to the more quality, aka expensive option for an additional fee. In addition to the caviar service and other bites we ordered, we also decided to get dessert. They only had one that night and it was a tres leches cake with coconut dusted on top, as well as honeycomb candy pieces. It was out of this world. Honestly, I thoroughly enjoyed just the initial caviar service. I loved the brioche. The jammy egg was perfect. Eating it with chips and creme fraiche and chives and all of that. I just, I love, it's sort of like an activity. I've told you guys I love activities, so that was fun. And then the other, just like you must order them, are the deviled eggs. The Wagyu sandwich was fantastic. The oysters I could have done without. Uh, They were a little too, they were like, almost too citrusy compared to everything else we were eating. So I would avoid the oysters, but definitely get the deviled eggs. And if you can swing it, also try the Wagyu sandwich if you're still hungry. Really, really good. The service was unmatched and it was just such a cool and unique experience. Sure, it was one of the more expensive meals I've ever paid for, but it was also so special and fun. And it was sort of I don't know. I kind of like to think of it as a celebration because this is going to be the third year Liza has worked for me. It'll be three years this June or July, I think. And it was just a fun trip. And I just, I personally think food experiences like that are worth every penny when they're done right. And Zero George killed it. It was so good. Dining at the caviar bar would be perfect for like an intimate celebration, maybe a wedding anniversary, a birthday. Uh, From what we gathered, the caviar bar service is really meant for a party of two. So great for a date. All of the food was made in helpings for just two people. So just keep that in mind when you're making reservations. If you want to check out the caviar bar, you, I think, are going to have to stick with a two-person reservation for that. 
The next day we grabbed lunch with my friend and fellow influencer, Natalie Mason. Her blog used to be called Designer Bags and Dirty Diapers. For those of you who followed OG bloggers early on, her Instagram is Snoop Natty Nat. If you want to check out her style and follow her, she's so sweet and fun. And we decided to meet at Leon's Oyster Shop, which is another place that was on my list on my last trip that I never made it to. We ordered the Brussels sprouts and charcoaled oysters as an app, along with some yummy cocktails. Natalie and I got the Little Bird, which features tequila, grapefruit liqueur, rose water and lime, which is like totally right up my alley and so good. Liza got a Pim's cup. And then Natalie's favorite thing on the menu is the Siam salad, which is what she got. But I was in the mood for something fried. (laughs) So I decided to go with the fried shrimp. And while I really enjoyed it, the batter was more of a cornmeal batter. So it was thicker and had a lot of texture which is not something I'm super used to. And I don't feel like it's done as much in Texas. That may be a like the South thing and not, I don't know. I don't know. But I just feel like the batter is lighter around here. Like when I get fried stuff here, it just has a different texture um, and crunchiness, if that makes sense. Like I said, still super delicious, but I do think I'd order something else next time because I prefer a lighter batter on fried seafood. But Liza ended up getting the grilled fish sandwich, which she raved about. So maybe that's what I'll try next time. But they have a bunch of different things you can try. So um, definitely check out Leon's. They have a pretty big patio. We sat outside and it was such a beautiful day. It was perfect for lunch. After lunch, we hit the other side of town to meet up with Tyler of Walk and Talk Charleston for a walking tour. And the day before had been so hot, but thankfully the day of our tour, it had gotten about 10 degrees cooler overnight, which made it so much more enjoyable. Uh, like when I, wa- when I was walking around alone the day before, I was dripping in sweat. Like my, my bra, my dress, my hair was wet. Like it was awful. But the day we walked around with Tyler, it was beautiful. And like, I wasn't sweaty. It was, win- it was kind of windy. It was nice. But Tyler, who leads the tours, is clearly super passionate about history and had so many funny and interesting tidbits to share as we were walking around the historic district. She's really funny and super sweet. I highly recommend checking out Walk and Talk Charleston if you're interested in learning about Charleston's past and present and the city's most famous characters over the years. The tour we went on was two hours long, which is totally doable. My only recommendation would be to bring along a water bottle with you. We did not, and we were parched by the end of it. We just didn't have time to grab one. And there wasn't really anything that close that had like bottled water to go. So we were kind of, um, we were very parched by the end of our tour, but we had the best time. And I do want to say Tyler did gift us the tour, like a gifted us the walking tour. So we didn't have to pay, but of course I tipped her. Um, but I just wanted to say that, that it was comped, uh, but still, I totally recommend it. It was so much fun. And I discovered that Tyler and I have a bunch of mutual friends from SMU and uh, UVA where she went to school. It just, it's really funny that we know a lot of the same people. So it was fun to meet her and we really enjoyed the walk and talk tour. So definitely check out walk and talk Charleston. Liza and I were both wanting a break from seafood, so that that night we decided to try Le Farfalle for dinner. Originally, we'd planned to try chubby fish, which we didn't end up making at all on this trip, and I, I really want to try it because everyone I've talked to says chubby fish is their very favorite, and it's certainly one of the most popular restaurants in town, but they don't take reservations, and the waits are really long, and we'd already had a lot of, we'd already had a lot of seafood, so I'll just have to plan another trip back to go to chubby fish, but Le Farfalle was the perfect thing for what we were looking for that night. We got there early since they didn't have a reservation and we were able to sit right away at the bar, which is so beautiful. 
It's a, it's like a pretty warm dark wood bar, but they have these bright white bistro chairs, counter stools rather. And it just is a really striking space. So sitting at the bar was fun. We ordered the rosemary focaccia, which is served with whipped ricotta, the best olive oil and this like tomato concoction. I wouldn't call it a jam, but it was just like really flavorful. Like I feel like maybe the tomatoes were roasted and I, I feel like it was a little warm. I'm kind of forgetting now, but it was so amazing. The bread was absolutely incredible. We also ordered the braised artichoke appetizer, which was super delicious too. It was served in a white wine and garlic sauce topped with breadcrumbs and Parmesan. Can you go wrong with that? No. (laughs) So delicious. Both of us ordered pasta dishes, which were really good, but we both agreed that they could have used more sauce. The texture was great and the preparation was wonderful. I just think both of the dishes would have been nicer with a little more sauce on things. And if you hear snores, Reese's is in here with me. So my apologies, but Liza left Thursday morning, which actually worked out perfectly for me because I ended up being invited to an influencer brunch that day. So about a month ago, when I reached out to my friend Grace about my visit, since she lives there now, she actually sent my name along to the team putting on this event, knowing that this was going to be happening while I was here. I had no idea she'd done that until they sent me an invitation, which was so thoughtful of her. But the event was put on by Leela Rose for her pearl clothing line, along with the jewelry designer Mignon Gavigan and Red's Hot Clay and the Dewberry Hotel. And it was on it was on the rooftop. So it was at the Citrus Club, which I mentioned earlier and I had been to before for drinks. And they've got an incredibly beautiful patio up there, like sweeping views of Charleston. The decor is really cute. It's sort of like a grapefruit. There's like a lot of grapefruit colored accents. So like the pillows outside and just decor that really brings out that citrus vibe, if you will. It's really cute though. But with it being a relatively short trip, I didn't have a chance to make plans with all the other influencers I know who live in Charleston. So it was really nice to be able to see them at this event. And I've gone to Leela's events in Dallas, New York, and now Charleston. And I'm sure she's like, where do you actually live? Because I feel like I go to all of her events. But what can I say? I'm a fan. I love her stuff. Later that night, I walked over to Grace's apartment, which I didn't mention this earlier, but Grace Atwood, for those of you who are not familiar, she's the former co-host of the Bad on Paper podcast, but is probably best known for her blog, The Stripe, and her Instagram account. Definitely go follow her. Her account is Grace Atwood. And then, so she was living in New York and moved to Charleston during the pandemic. So, so glad I got to see her. I got to see her apartment. She invited me and Stacy, who's the owner of Hampton Clothing, over for drinks. And then Stacy drove us over to Shea New in her golf cart for dinner, uh, which she also joined us for. And it was such a fun night of delicious drinks and food, girl talk. Shea New is a super cozy and intimate French restaurant that kind of feels more like you're dining in a friend's house like having a home-cooked meal. Nothing too flashy or over the top, just consistently good food and great wine. You definitely need a reservation for for Chez Nu, and I would recommend checking out their Instagram account. They do a completely different menu every single day. So if you go three days in a row, it's gonna be a completely different menu each time. So you'll never really know what you're gonna get, but they they usually have two options for an appetizer, salad, whatever two options for an entree, and then I think two options for a dessert. So you kind of, it's a small menu. It's curated every day, but there there are options for each. So my flight out Friday wasn't until 3.30. So I had time to grab a little brunch before heading to the airport. And initially I walked over to Husk because 
Google Maps was telling me that they were open, only to discover they don't do brunch on Friday. So Saturday and Sunday is when they do brunch and they weren't open on Friday. But lucky for me, Pugin's Porch is right next door. I didn't get to go to Pugin's Porch. (laughs) I have trouble saying that name. On my last trip to Charleston, and it's definitely one of the most popular, if not touristy restaurants in the city, but like I, I have anxiety about getting to the airport late and like missing a flight. So I was like happy to try it because it was right there. And I, once I got in line, I found out I was able to sit right away. Most people were forced to wait for tables because they had bigger parties, but because I was just one person, they actually have a communal table and a bar area where it's like kind of first come first serve. And the communal table was totally empty. So they sat me there and it, it was perfect for me. So <laughs> Pugin's Porch is known for their fried green tomatoes and fried chicken. So that's exactly what I ordered. The fried green tomatoes came with this warm pimento cheese dip and bacon tomato jam, which I mixed together and then spread on top of each tomato slice. And it was so fucking good, y'all. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what the tomatoes would have tasted like without the sauce, but it's not worth it. You've got to try it with the the pimento cheese, whatever it was. It was so freaking good. Um, I followed that up with the fried chicken sandwich. I wasn't really in the mood for like breakfasty food, so I loved the batter. It was perfect. It made for the ideal level of crunch in every bite, and the bun was really good. It was just, it was really, really good. So even if it is touristy, at least you know the food is good. Service was a little slow, but I feel like that's typical for everywhere right now. So I'm not going to hold that against them. But once I was done with brunch, I waddled back to the hotel and right on into the car to head to the airport. And while I'm on the subject of my ride to the airport, there's one important thing to note about Charleston. So getting an Uber in downtown Charleston is really easy, but getting them anywhere outside of that is not. And that includes airport transfers. A friend of mine told me that she'd tried to order an Uber and it was like $190. Uh, because of the demand was being so high and the number of drivers was so low. And so she recommended hiring a driver and actually gave me the number of a guy. His name is Wally. (laughs) I'm happy to share his phone number. If you want to email me, the email is info at beckandcallpodcast.com. I would put it on here, but I don't want to put his number on blast publicly. So if you're going to Charleston and would like a driver, at least an airport transfer, email me for his number. It was $75 for me and Liza to ride from the airport to the hotel, not including tip, and then $65 for us individually since we were taking going to the airport on separate days. I will say I tried to, I went over, I didn't mention this, but I went over to Mount Pleasant on Thursday after that uh, influencer brunch because I wanted to just like walk around and see something different since I'd done downtown Charleston on both trips. And I wasn't sure I'd have time to do Sullivan's Island, but I just wanted to like walk around a different neighborhood. And I was so, it was so easy to get an Uber over there, but I waited like 45 minutes for an Uber to come back. So if you're planning on doing Mount Pleasant, Sullivan's Island, I would recommend either renting a car or hiring a driver. Those are sort of, if you don't have a driver, the Uber thing is really unpredictable. So that's just something important to note when you're going to Charleston. Some restaurants that I enjoyed on my trip in 2019 that are worth mentioning here are The Ordinary, Butcher and Bee, and Melfi's. The Ordinary was my absolute favorite on that trip. Great seafood, including the best crudo I've ever had. And I looked at the menu and it looks like their menu has changed since I visited in 2019, but everything we had was amazing. And I've heard it's still one of the best restaurants. So definitely check out The Ordinary. Butcher and B is a great spot for brunch. I believe I had brunch with Natalie there uh, the last time I was in town. It's just really good. Again, they change the menu quite often, 
but really good brunch. So check that out on a weekend. And then if you're in the mood for Italian, definitely don't miss Melfi's. They have incredible pizza. So like if you're in the mood for pizza, you've got to go to Melfi's. It's kind of over by Leon's, which is it's it can be walkable, but it's just a little off the beaten path. It's a little further away from the regular King Street stuff. So we took an Uber over there and it was super easy, but definitely check out Melfi's if you're a fan of Italian food. But needless to say, this trip was so much fun. We ate our way through town. The charming, colorful architecture is so inspiring and definitely got my creative juices flowing, especially after creating most of the content for my blog and Instagram from my house the last two years. So um, I think that about covers it for my Charleston trip recap. But as always, feel free to call the hotline at 214-620-0473 or email me with questions. And that email is info at beckandcallpodcast.com. And I'm happy to answer in a future episode if I didn't cover anything that you wanted me to cover. We've made it to the beck and call segment. This is the segment of the podcast where I answer listener questions, respond to your comments and stories and more. And you can call the beck and call hotline at 214-620-0473 to ask questions, air an everyday complaint, react or respond to something I've mentioned on the podcast, really anything you want to talk to me about and have me respond to on the podcast. You can submit all of those via email if you're not comfortable with calling in. And that email is info at beckandcallpodcast.com. All right, Reese's, we got a snore down there. Thank you to everyone who entered last week's Lululemon giveaway. I really appreciate those of you who have taken the time to call in and leave voicemails as I think it's such a fun, engaging part of the podcast. And I'd love to do more listener engaging content on here. And y'all have told me that the Q&A segment, the beck and call segment is your favorite part. So I need your involvement. But those of you who are calling in for the giveaways, that's amazing. That's why I'm doing these. I want you guys to, uh, I want to give you guys incentive to call in and get involved. So thank you for participating and entering the giveaway this last week. I'll be emailing the winner of the gift card tomorrow, but in the meantime, I can announce the next giveaway. As I mentioned in last week's episode, I wanted to do four weeks of giveaways to show my appreciation for y'all and also to to encourage you to get more involved and submit stories and questions for the beck and call segment. So all of you beauty and skincare junkies will be very pumped about this week's giveaway, which is for a $250 gift card to Sephora. This giveaway is not sponsored by Sephora. It's just something fun I wanted to do for y'all to show my thanks, but also, like I said, to encourage you to get involved. So to mix it up from last week's giveaway, all you need to do to enter the giveaway for the Sephora gift card is to email a question, complaint, comment, or funny story that I can share on the podcast to info at beckoncallpodcast.com. Again, these are totally anonymous. I will never announce your name on here um, unless you want it included. And I just, I wanted to open it up to the emails too, because I know not everyone is comfortable with leaving a voicemail. So like I said, this week's giveaway entry is an email. You do not have to call into the hotline. You just have to email a question, complaint, comment, et cetera, to info at beckoncallpodcast.com. You can get a bonus entry though. So if you share the podcast as a recommendation on your Instagram stories, just be sure to tag at Beck and Call Podcast on Instagram so we can see it. Like the last giveaway, this one is only open to US residents and you'll have one week to enter. The deadline for entries is Monday, May 9th at noon central time. 
and I'll be announcing the third giveaway in next week's episode. All entries will be entered into a spreadsheet and then I'll use a random number generator to select the winner. And I'll be emailing the giveaway winner directly on Tuesday, May 10th. Like I did last week, I'll be sure to post the giveaway requirements and entry info and all of the details on the Instagram account at Beck and Call Podcast. So head there if you need a reminder or want specific details that you can't remember if you're driving or whatever. Head to Beck and Call Podcast on Instagram for all of the giveaway details. And with that, let's get into this week's Beck and Call segment. Hi, Merritt. I love your podcast and I grew up in Dallas, so it's really cool to hear what's new and exciting in restaurants and stuff there since I don't live there anymore, but go back and visit a lot. My question is restaurant related. I did not grow up going to like fancy restaurants, but now that I'm an adult and have adult money, uh, that's something my husband and I really like to do, but I'm always nervous about etiquette and making sure to order the right way or like using good table manners and all those things. And even though I'm (laughs) almost 40, it still makes me a little bit nervous. So I would love for you to share um, your tips and tricks for looking confident and polished and having great table etiquette, um, especially in nicer restaurants. Thanks so much. And I look forward to hearing all about it on the podcast. Thanks. I totally understand how you feel. Even though I've dined in plenty of nice restaurants over the years, I still get kind of nervous or anxious in super formal environments. I'm sure my mom would tell you I don't have the best manners, even though I did cotillion growing up. So if you've never heard of that word, cotillion actually refers to a kind of dance. But the cotillion I'm talking about was a program in Austin for youngsters to learn etiquette and manners. We would get all dressed up and don white gloves and head to Austin Country Club where they hosted it. And we would learn everything from table manners to interacting with boys to how to dance. It was definitely a precursor to my experience as a debutante. But I remember so many people doing cotillion. Well, not a lot of people did the debutante stuff later on. So I felt like it was sort of like a rite of passage for everybody our age. It's all a bit stuffy and certainly old fashioned. But I remember it being fun since everyone my age was doing it. That I went to school with. So, I mean, it was just like another after school activity. And I can't remember how long it was. It was probably just like a couple of months. We probably went like, I don't know, once a week. I don't know how long we did it, but I'm pretty sure I was in middle school or younger when I went to Cotillion. I can't quite recall though. And I'm sure I'm not remembering all of the things that I learned. Like my mom, like I said, would probably not say I have the best manners, but That's probably where I learned the basics outside of what I learned at home. So some of the things I've learned in terms of like table and dinner etiquette include one, keeping your elbows off the table. That's obviously kind of standard, but personal items should also be kept off the table. So bags, keys, especially your phone. In fact, I'd suggest staying off your phone at the entire time you're at the table. And if you need to use it, take your whole purse with you to the bathroom and then pull it out once you're there. So like I've been on dates where a guy will like obviously pull out his phone as he's getting up to the bathroom and it's like, okay, (laughs) I don't know. It's just, uh, it's just nicer to not give people the idea that they're going to go talk to somebody or Google something. I don't know. Anyway, do not start eating until everyone has gotten their plate of food, unless it's a course that they didn't order. So like if you got an appetizer, but they only ordered an entree, it's fine for you to eat. But like, don't, don't start eating your food until everyone's plate is in front of them. When you get your entree or if everyone has gotten an appetizer, I think this would also be the same if you were dining at somebody's home. You don't start eating until the host has started eating. Um, So just keep that in mind. 
and then taste your food before seasoning it. So many people I know do this and it kind of drives me crazy because it's like, how are you seasoning it if you don't know how salty it is yet? <laughs> like, I think it's sort of like a poo-poo to the chef too. So uh, taste your food before seasoning it. And speaking of seasonings, pass the salt and pepper together instead of just what the person asked for. Say they just asked for salt. You pass both the salt shaker and the pepper shaker together. You also want to eat slowly, which is something that I struggle with. But inhaling your food is definitely not a sign of good manners. Um, You don't want to be done when everyone's still like you don't want to be done 30 minutes before everybody else is done eating. So (laughs) you'll just be sitting there staring at them as they eat. So eat slowly, chew with your mouth closed and don't talk while you're in the middle of a bite. This seems obvious, but it happens a lot. And I will say this is something that I have been guilty of, at least trying to talk when it might when there's food in my mouth, because I'm like so excited to say something like if we're if if, if any conversation I'm having, if I'm excited about the topic or really want to get something out, I may start talking when I have food in my mouth and I know that's bad. So don't do that. I don't really pay any attention to utensils, but the guideline of like starting outside and working your way in usually works. I think that's what they taught in the Princess Diaries, no? But once you've started eating, set the utensils on your plate, not the table when they're being when they're not being used. And then this is something I think my mom taught me and I'm sure it is respectful, but it's also just like I don't I don't know what this is about, but When we're at a nice restaurant, the waiter is supposed to pick up all the plates. Don't pass the plate to the waiter. I'm not sure if that's a sign of manners or just like a formality or what, but I was always told never to give the waiter a plate. They should pick it up, whatever that means. So like I said, I'm sure I don't have the best manners and I'm certainly not an expert, but those are some of the things I try to do when I'm eating out, especially at more formal restaurants. So hopefully those are helpful tips. All right, let's get into the next voicemail. Hey, Merritt. Calling in from Charlotte, North Carolina. Love the podcast. I think you're doing a great job, and I really appreciate how professional and committed you are to it, even though it's still pretty new. Um, I have a lighthearted question. Okay, in the spirit of Becca Freeman's recent podcast, I'm going to ask you a Bone Mary Berry um, question. So, S. Mary Kill. I love playing these types of questions with my friends. I'm really, I think I annoy them because I will just ask them randomly, but I just think they're so funny. I love hearing people's thoughts. I have some very strong opinions about some of these scenarios I put together. So for you, my S. Mary Kill scenario is pizza, pasta, or French fries. It's really hard for me. I have some strong opinions, though. I'm curious to hear your take. Oh, my God. Yes. I love this question. I'll answer any fuck, Mary kill question y'all throw at me. They're just so fun to answer. To be honest, this one wasn't all that hard for me. I would marry pasta, fuck pizza, and kill french fries. Now hear me out. I think I've said this before, but I could eat pasta every single day for the rest of my life if my body would let me. Alas, I tend to get bloated from eating carbs and always tend to gain weight when I eat pasta more regularly, so it's become more of a weekly thing for me than a daily thing these days. I literally love any kind of pasta shape, any kind of sauce there is. And thanks to literally endless ingredients you could add, the flavor profile varies widely dish to dish. So yes, pasta is what I'd marry. It's the perfect comfort food. If I could, I would order it on every menu I went to. It's the best. Pizza is also one of my favorite things to eat. But even with the different toppings and sauces, it can all kind of end up tasting pretty similar. 
I just don't think I'd want to eat it every day like I would with pasta. With that said, I love pizza and would much prefer to fuck with it once in a while instead of giving it up entirely. Now let's talk about the French fries. Sure, I love French fries, but they're a side dish, not an entree. They're not a meal in and of itself, so I don't really think it's that fair to judge them against pizza and pasta. Also, not all fries are created equal, and I'm pretty picky when it comes to how they're done. I don't like them shoestringy, super thin or too crunchy, but I also don't love a steak fry that's all potato. I prefer a middle-of-the-road French fry with a slightly crunchy shell and a soft potato-y center. But even in the perfect conditions, a French fry doesn't have much flavor on its own, and they always require some kind of aioli or condiment or topping to give it more flavor. French fries just don't have what it takes to compete with pasta and pizza in my mind. So with all of that said, I'd have to kill the French fry. No apologies. All right, guys, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And you can now actually rate podcasts on Spotify. So check that out if you're listening there. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Beck and Call Podcast for episode visual guides, giveaway details, more behind the scenes stuff. And thank you guys again for listening. And I will catch you guys next week. Bye. Bye.